You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. Join my bye, 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 my buddy. Bye. Easy for you to say. <laughs> I'm joined by Chris Knee as we are packing our bags to go to Jacksonville for the next few days. FSU is about to go to uh, some sort of like junction boy type of deal at UNF, an annual tradition unlike any other for a few days of preseason camp. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. Uh, but first, some topical news for Florida State including uh, the loss of Daryl Jackson more than likely for the 2023 season due to him not getting his his uh, hardship waiver. Uh, as we get into that, I want to give a shout out to our two sponsors, Chattanooga Whiskey, uh, doing an amazing job with craft distillery or craft distilling uh, throughout the Southeast. I think, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and pick up a bottle. I heard rumors of a really good weeded whiskey that they've done that dropped recently at a liquor store here in town. So I think about getting a bottle for our... Uh, our trip, not for a while we're driving, obviously drink responsibly for in the evening after we've covered camp for a day and we got Dane in the hotel and want to get a little loose. Never mind. I just Chattanooga whiskey is our sponsor. I got awkward real fast. Yeah. Um, and they do an amazing job. Uh, their rye, their rye whiskey is awesome. I don't even like love rye usually, and they do a great job with it. So I want to try my hands at a, uh, at their weeded version. I think that'll be fun. Uh, and then also I usually I'm apologizing to the Turner group, the Turner group. Colin, Amy Turner do an amazing job buying and selling homes in Central Florida throughout the state of Florida uh, under the Keller Williams umbrella. They do a fantastic job of, of doing a boutique agency in a way that does high volume as well. It's because they work so hard. They're so well connected. If you're looking to get into the housing market, the Turner Group is who we would recommend. Uh, also, Chris, you got a little bit of a victory lap. Uh, there was an Instagram <laughs> post so that Becky had her one year anniversary at the Turner Group, so congrats! I to knew you. I knew I wasn't completely nuts. <laughs> not not totally. Um, so yeah, those are our two sponsors. Shout out to them. Let's get into this, Chris. Oh, and then the back end of the podcast after we do about twenty minutes or so on the topical stuff, uh, we're going to continue our 2013 10 year anniversary interview series with Trey Roland and myself talking to different players and coaches from that team. It's just been such a hectic two weeks or so that we had to put pause on it. Uh, because commitments, realignment, camp starting, uh, to get to the newsy stuff. So uh, Pops Green, uh, as he was known during his time at Florida State, was a was an important like reserve receiver on that team, and uh, and someone's gonna have some good insights into what that offense was like, what it was like practicing with Jameis Winston and, and that wide receiving core. So Chris, let's get into it. Daryl Jackson, FSU's defensive tackle transfer from Miami, uh, they had applied for a hardship waiver. Uh, when he first got to campus or around when he got to campus back in uh, December, January timeframe, I uh, technically enrolled in January, got to campus. December is obviously some stuff that happened in between then as well. Uh, FSU gets word officially about four days ago now as we're recording this podcast and uh, announced technically yesterday. So three days ago 
that Daryl Jackson would not be eligible to play this season per the NCAA as it denied his hardship waiver. Uh, Mike Norvell addressed it to us, Chris. I guess let's start there. What were Mike Norvell's comments about? And I guess how did you how did you take the conversation with Mike and Daryl, uh, who spoke to us afterwards as well about the announcement and that news? Yeah, both of them spoke with us after practice on Tuesday afternoon, so yesterday afternoon. Uh, in Norvell's case, I felt like that he was sympathetic towards Daryl's situation, disappointed in the NCAA's ruling. And again, you know, NCAA rulings, it usually comes down to people wondering, are we really out for the student athlete in quotations or not in the sense of supporting them? Um, <clears throat> there's a degree, and this isn't from what Mike Norvell said, but I think there's a degree of feeling that the two-time transfer rule, because so far every ruling on it has been a no. Um, and that's not solely Daryl Jackson. There's a couple others, and there's others still waiting to hear in college football regarding that, that it, maybe it's a reaction to the fact that we reverse the rule so heavily towards the one-time transfer here that now we're getting very anti-two-time transfer regardless of situations. I think most people are well-versed in Daryl Jackson's situation. He's from Havana, Florida, about 20 minutes down the road from Tallahassee in Florida State. His mother has a chronic illness, has been ailing here for several years. He had gone Maryland to Miami, wanted to come home, be closer to home to play for FSU. This was really the second time FSU had truly recruited him. I mean, they were involved with him before he went to Maryland as a high school prospect. He was teammates with Josh Farmer, who's now currently at FSU as well. And then they definitely recruited him out of Maryland when he went to Miami. So it's not like they hadn't had a relationship. But this time, Daryl chose to come home in part to be close to his mother and give her the ability to be near him. And there was that reason. And Daryl's very much integrated himself into Florida State's program. But there's a degree of like he made a choice to be closer to mom with the hopes of playing near mom. And the NCAA just simply didn't care. Now, you know, we can sit here and bash the NCAA all day, but I got a feeling, a uh, suspicion that a vast majority of two time transfers are going to be denied. And the NCAA came out recently and said that was likely going to be the case with revisions of rules. Now, some of the issue there is that the revision of that rule came after someone like Daryl Jackson and Tez at North Carolina, who's also already had a no ruling on a two-time transfer. They came out with that rule after, I believe, both of those individuals decided they were going to transfer and landed at new programs. For, for clarity, the, the timeline, and, and keep your thoughts, Chris, I want to jump right back in, but for our listeners, uh, for clarity, the timeline's a little murky on it, I believe, NCAA was discussing it in December, which is around the time like the portal window opened December 5th and went through uh, mid-January. But like players were making decisions by then. Daryl Jackson was at Florida State's campus in late December, enrolled in January. And this ruling became official by NCAA. Uh, basically, their guidelines, we can say change or we can say narrowed in scope. Uh, either way, it's semantics. It became more difficult by their guidelines to get a waiver for being a second time transfer on January 11th. So yeah. a lot of places semesters have already started by then uh, and decisions have been made long before then, you know, Chris from covering the transfer portal, as well as I do, like that flies fast and the NCAA set a window for players to make decisions and then restricted uh, the ability to play after uh, that window. Yeah, and it's another issue with the NCAA and college football as it currently stands is that the calendar is so messed up, so open-ended, so constantly going that if you're changing roles in real time as things are literally happening in real time with guys transferring, how can you enact the rule and enforce the rule immediately upon that date when decisions were made to transfer, a two-time transfer, 
prior to that date. It just seems weird, unfair. But again, it's an issue with how everything is constructed at the current moment. One would think you enact it for, well, this is after this following semester. So anybody that decided to transfer after the spring would be impacted versus anybody that was already transferring after the fall. But that's not how the NCAA works. That's not how college football works. It's not utopian. It's not perfect by any stretch. Uh, as far as comments yesterday, I thought Mike Norvell was sympathetic. I thought Daryl Jackson did a good job of putting a good face on a bad situation. Obviously disappointed with what happened to him. He intends to be fully invested in the team, do everything possible to help the team. He is able to practice with the team fully this year and do everything except for playing games. Daryl said something amongst the lines of, I'm paraphrasing here, but but hurt to see the quote. Like, yeah, you realize that these are players and people who these decisions are being made uh, that I guess they do have some control over, but obviously not complete control over. He said something amongst the lines of, my mom, I moved here to be closer to her, and she feels like this is her fault. That's, yeah. That's it. So I asked him how disappointing was it to learn that the waiver had been denied. His exact quote, it was hurtful because I know what I came home for. I came home for my mom. So to me, I'm just trying to get through it and be there for my mom. She's thinking it's her fault, but it's not. So just to continue to be there for my mom and see how things play out. And he went on and spoke further. You can go. There's video. There's also a transcript of his comments from yesterday. Mike Norvell video is available there. Brendan had the story immediately after Mike Norvell announced it up on the site. So there's plenty of context that we provided. Brendan also did a very good job yesterday kind of talking about what's next, both in regards to Dow Jackson's situation. Truthfully, the answer there is probably solely a lawsuit. I don't think that's going to happen. It is a possibility. It does exist. But timing of it, the season being a month off, when it would happen, I know people would say injunction, maybe you can play. Yes, maybe that's a possibility. But there's also a possibility it drags out and it doesn't get resolved. And it makes no difference with his availability for this season. So to this point, we've not heard that that's the intention of which direction this will go. At this point, it sounds like appeal denied. He will not play this year. That is kind of the end all be all of it. But that obviously could change. The other thing Brendan touched on, and I'll let him take the baton here, is basically how does this impact the depth chart and where FSU goes with that position on a very talented defensive line. Yeah, before we jump into the depth chart, I think that's worth talking about and spinning this forward for sure. Um, two points. One is something that we haven't been able to confirm like officially or, or through a second source, but uh, we have heard that there is a chance that Daryl Jackson would be able to play uh, basically after the semester. That's basically a ruling that would not allow him to play the semester, which would, would mean bowl game or playoff, I think, uh, is when that yeah. would, timeline would be. I've asked two people about that since yesterday. They both intended to check with compliance. So hopefully we have some clarity on that in the coming days. Yeah. And so even then, the fact that we've talked to multiple people about this around the program that don't know entirely uh, off the top of their head, I think it's just it shows kind of the manner in which like you're it's not a straightforward process. None of this is. Um, and then, and then, so the last thing before we get to the depth chart that we don't have to to rehash this, spend a lot of time on. I do think it's worth talking about because people are going to ask about it and, and have asked about it is, is how did Daryl's. Uh, for lack of a better word, antics during some of the Josh Farmer stuff, which was super well documented in the spring. Like we we covered that as thoroughly as as possible because it was stuff that was happening in real time that was pretty important at that time. Um, that Daryl basically in a show of solidarity with Josh, who was threatening to enter the transfer portal, who ultimately entered the transfer portal and then returned. Those were high school teammates. Uh, Daryl was kind of stripping his stuff off of social media of FSU, implying heavily that he might consider going somewhere else. And um, 
Did that make a decision in the NCAA's ruling uh, to not give him the waiver? I can't definitively tell you, like, yes or no. Uh, my understanding is that it didn't help his cause. Uh, and speaking to someone else, that they, they, they seem this is sourced from a couple different people. That, that was some feedback we got. But ultimately, like, seeing what is happening with uh, the UNC wide receiver, what we believe will be happening with other players you know, that, that, who want to be two-time transfers. A year ago, two-time transfers applying for hardship waivers, I think we're getting accepted at about a rate of like 70 to 75%. To my knowledge right now, uh, if someone finds an example of it, please pass it on to me. We were told it was minimum uh, players were getting that right now. So I don't really think what happened in the spring ultimately shifted this. It, it doesn't help your, your case at all. It's probably makes it a little bit more difficult to make the good faith argument a hundred percent, but like ultimately, uh, the NCAA seems to have created a, a very strict set of guidelines after uh, players made their decisions rather than before and are enforcing it kind of retroactively. Is that Aaron, fair? Just, yeah, wholeheartedly. And one other thing to add, there are individuals that can transfer for a second time and they're good to go, but they have to be graduate transfers. So just to clarify for people, there's a difference between the two. Daryl Jackson is not a graduate tra transfer, correct. therefore ineligible. So as far as it, Impacts the depth chart. I think we've talked about pretty openly on this podcast, Chris, that like this defensive tackle group on paper, one of the better defensive tackle groups in the nation, maybe one of the better position groups on the nation. We talk about the, the versatility, the experience, uh, the depth of that group. Uh, Braden Fisk has been so much fun to watch in preseason camp. And we know what Fabian Lovett is. We've seen Josh Farmer take another step forward. Daryl Jackson figured to be a huge part of that rotation because he's 6'6", 330 pounds moves remarkably well at that size. And I'm just not saying for a human being at that size, I'm saying for like anyone in college football, from even like a premium athletic standpoint, he's probably one of the more premium of the premium athletes out there. And yeah. so people mover, uh, people mover and moves well, like as a people mover, so strong athletic, you know, somewhat raw still, like this was not a final product. Uh, I don't think you're going to go into the season with him as your starter, but there are going to be some matchups where having, his size was going to be a huge asset, like like against LSU, against Clemson. Like, there's no doubt that he would have been an impactful player in your rotation. So, as far as I see it, Chris hurts you because that is someone who has a super unique skill set, has a ton of upside, maybe the most upside of anyone in that defensive tackle room. Uh, if he hit everything this year, like what he could have been, and then it forces you to eat into the depth a little bit too, right? Like you still have depth. Uh, we can go over the pieces if you would like, but it, it it does take away a guy who is probably a too deep rotational piece. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty up there. There's, you know, Fabian Lovett, who went healthy, is outstanding. Uh, Braden Fisk, new entry into the room, a little different positionally speaking, but very, very talented dude. Um, Josh Farmer, who we've talked about playing Dennis Briggs, he's a great deal of a veteran. I think a guy like Io Tafasi is maybe someone who this forces a little bit more up the food chain, not necessarily into a too deep role, but maybe a more prominent role of providing depth. We we talked about in the preseason when I spoke to Odell Higgins on the day before the preseason started, we talked about having a rotation, having depth, how good it is, and talked about being blessed with that. They still have a good amount of depth and a good rotation available to them. It's just Daryl's a guy who you would put as a frontline type, a too deep type for them at those positions who can make a massive difference. He's, a, he's insanely talented. He had a desire from what we understand to be a one-and-done guy here this year and try to pursue the NFL after this season. And I think he is capable and talented enough to do that. 
So that's speaking to the talent and the level of player that you're losing. Now, he was somewhat, at times, a little inconsistent. Most people are, especially at that position. But his good was outstanding. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're losing. So it's disappointing. It's not a death blow by any stretch. It makes it a little bit thinner as far as injuries because that is a position because you are hitting each other constantly. That injuries tend to pile up or at least nicks and nacks and bangs and bruises. So there's a little bit less margin for error, but I don't feel like it drastically changes like a win share or win total. We, we were like for our defensive tackle confidence ratings before camp started, Chris. I think we had some uncertainty with Daryl Jackson at that point, to be fair. And um, we did that about a week or so in the pod. Uh, that was something that, that was a caveat for us. And I think we were working on the back end of information that it was probably unlikely at that point that things were going to go well for them. But we still didn't know for sure. Uh, we both had a nine in the confidence ranking. I, I think Daryl probably not having him brings it down to like an eight. You're probably in the 80th percentile, maybe 8.5. I'd say is, it's fair. It does hurt it, but I don't think it yeah. drops you a ton. Daniel Lines is another guy I didn't mention. There, there's oh, yeah. several others. I mean, was they good. have plenty of talent in that room and they're confident. It's just Daryl was, Daryl was one of the really, really good ones. Yeah. Daryl's ceiling is probably as high as anybody in that room. And, and there's no one else who's 6'6, 330 on the defense. Right. But again, there's not a whole lot of 6'6, 330 anywhere in college football. That's why he was such a, a plus for you um, almost, almost to the point of being a, a luxury based on the depth you had and now you don't have it. And, and yeah, it's just not, not ideal for FSU. Like Chris said, it's not a death blow either. Uh, it just forces injury luck to probably be a little bit better for you, right? There's less margin for error uh, and you lose one of these interesting scheme uh, type of like revolving points with Daryl, but defensive tackle, we still feel good. So Let's move on to recruiting. Uh, a quick update. One of this blow is softened somewhat because of what you've done so well, which is recruit defensive backs. And it actually probably happens. And we'll get to that uh, because of the elite level you've recruited defensive backs at in this class. But it's one that we're not going to sugarcoat. We felt really good about Rydarius Red Morgan when FSU got him in early July. There's a guy that I think collectively all of us, like Chris, myself, Zach, Dane, AB, Kev, like anyone who watches huddle film, it's a lot of fun because he is a heat-seeking missile, plays football the way you want a safety to play. Uh, he ends up flipping from Florida State to Alabama today. I'll let you take it from, from there, Chris. Them the breaks. I mean, it happens. It's, it's Bama and it's a kid in that state. So, like, it stinks. But I think Red Morgan's a hell of a football player. I loved him when he was an FSU commitment. My opinion of him doesn't really change. Uh, the film's fun. He's a downhill killer. Uh, he's kind of dude that I want in that secondary. Some Jamie Robinson elements to what he can do as, like, a box help guy who's also got the athleticism to play all directions. Uh, it's pretty good. From a scouting department standpoint, when Nick Saban's rubber stamping a DB as a kid that he wants, so like you know, hat tip to FSU. It just stinks to lose a kid. I mean, he's very, very talented. Yeah, KJ Bolden obviously softens this to a degree, but like I would have loved to have both of those dudes in the backfield, defensive backfield. They're they're both insanely talented. I'm more interested how it changes FSU's plans with secondary recruiting. Do they deviate and go back on somebody like a Kevin Levy, for example? Do we see them? There's some guys that were evaluating. The Sumner kid, for example, comes to mind. Do they go green light on him? Yeah, Greg Smith the third. Basically, where did they go with this? How did they go about filling their defensive backfield in this class? You know, Jaleel Solomon here recently committed to Auburn. I, I think personally Jaleel Solomon's probably going to go to Auburn 
Like, I think that's one that's going to stick, family ties and all. Auburn did a very good job from June on of locking him up, beat out South Carolina in the end for him. FSU had kind of faded there down the stretch. But I am interested if this causes them to pivot and pursue somebody different, if it causes them to go back in on somebody, if it causes them to be more aggressive like a Zaquan Patterson, for example, from South Florida, who's I, I think is insanely talented. I know Mike Norvell likes a great deal. Uh, that was evident in June when Saquon visited, and Mike Norvell was very much latched on to him. But he's not a young man. Chaminade kids tend to decide before their season starts. Doesn't always mean it's a final decision, but they tend to make a decision. If Zaquan does that right now, I think a school like an Auburn or potentially a Michigan or Miami is probably ahead of where FSU is for him. Ohio State's also in the mix there. So, like, there would have to be ground made up and things done there. But if you're going to play the long game and go after maybe a really super talented kid, I think someone like a Zaquan Patterson's a good candidate. I think they're in the position to be, you mentioned to be aggressive. Um, and yes and no. Like, I think you can be selective because of who you've accumulated in this class. You have four defensive back recruits. You have Ricky Knight. He's a four-star. You have he's a star. Bolden, he's a safety or a corner for you. You could probably pick and choose. Nickel, maybe. It's a lot of things. And you have Charles Lester, who's a five-star. So three out of your four DBs are blue-chip recruits. Two of them are among the most elite of the elite prospects nationally. So do you have to run out and get a guy automatically to, to replace Red Morgan? No. Um, if you decide that we want to zero in on this guy or this guy, if you're Florida State, uh, then you could be super aggressive. But then you can kind of let the board come to you. We've talked about this board like since January or February, Chris, about how expansive it was for FSU. And they've done a great job securing some of the top players on that board. Now you kind of see how these uncommitted ones go. Or like you said, you circle back around to maybe someone like a, like a Gregory Smith who you moved off of before uh, or Kevin Levy uh, while you were kind of waiting the finality of some of the blue chip uh, yeah, you end up getting. Um, there's also the element of you've got Charles Lester and KJ Bolden who can recruit for you at for that you position. Yeah. And that's one of those where, hey, come be part of a really special DB class, can come and play. So I don't think they rush. I don't think they panic at all with this change. I'm sure they're disappointed. I know Adam Fuller was extremely hot on Red Morgan. He's a kid that he kind of, from March on when they offered, he, he was the guy that pursued him. He liked him a great deal. He's one that went on them when they offered. He kept up with them, spring evaluation, so on and so forth. So I'm sure he's disappointed, but at the same time, like you sit there and you're pretty happy with the DB class you have. And we've gotten some, I've seen some of this on Knowles 24 7, and which reminds me, Zach is going to be doing a broader look at the defensive backboard. But I do have a few points that I want uh, to touch on here, real quick, Chris. So, one, we've seen a lot of comments on the board that, uh, from fans saying, you know, why does FSU keep going into Alabama? You, you end up if Auburn or Alabama end up wanting a kid, you lose them. That's true. Um, but Alabama or Auburn didn't. Well, Auburn did, and you still were able to defend them off. Uh, Alabama, Nick Saban, defensive back recruiting, like him going in on a player late, like, or later, like Chris said, that thins the brakes, right? And, and that can happen. Um, the difference is, and this is where you need some nuance, like, FSU's D board, DB board was not contingent on Radarius Morgan. They have a bunch of defensive backs in a very deep regional DB class this year, including several elite prospects committed to you. Uh, this is not like the Keldrick Falk deal, deal a year ago where you had 
the guy atop your board without a ton of backup options if something went awry in the state of Alabama. So it's not apples to apples. It's not a good faith argument in my estimation to compare the two. Yeah, time is also obviously different. Falk happened very much at the finish line. Morgan happened here as August is kicking off. Like you're going to recruit kids from the state of Alabama. It's your neighboring state. Like you're go gonna... recruit the best kids, regardless of where they are. Just be prepared with Plan Bs, Plan Cs, and have an expansive board and keep relationships fostered so you're in the mix, regardless. Like that, that's the best way to recruit. If you want five, got fifteen, you know you like. Go after the five you really want. Have the next five warmed up, and know you still got the other five down the line. Uh, that's just that's recruiting this day and age. And this is probably a overly simplistic way to look at it, uh, but I do think there's some causation here. Uh, Ryderius Morgan is offered and pursued by Alabama really starting like a week ago. Yeah, I believe he went to an event there, I want to say on July 29th. Um, I think him and a teammate or two went. Well, in around that same time span, uh, KJ Bolden more or less was not looking at floor or looking at Alabama anymore. They were not in that conversation with. Georgia, FSU, and Auburn. Uh, they had kind of fallen out. Uh, and FSU had gotten Charles Lester, who had taken an OV to Alabama in July. Um, so, or in June, excuse me. Uh, so FSU had gotten a commitment from Charles Lester in late July. So I say those two things because uh, Alabama basically has to circle back around and expand its DB board, and it leads them to Red Morgan at least somewhat because Florida state got players who were higher up on Alabama's board. So perspective on this of like where FSU is from a recruiting, recruiting perspective right now, like that, that is, that is not lost on me. The FSU loses red Morgan, which sucks because we really liked him uh, collectively as a staff here um, because of your ability to win out for the top of the top guys. Okay. Like that, that's, that's how it worked out. That's, that's fine. I think you're at peace with that ultimately. Uh, at DB recruiting. And then finally, uh, we've talked about this a decent amount already. We're going to talk about it more, I think, later this week as we do kind of a more thorough uh, breakdown of what we've seen about a week into preseason camp and once the full pads are on and we get that final bit of context. But, like, they have either hit or feel like they're going to hit on almost all their defensive backs in this class that just came in, right? Yeah, they got a lot of young dudes back there. they got a lot of different body types. They want to keep adding to it. They want to have an abundance of options back there. That's what they prefer. And they're going to lose several guys after this year. What, Renardo Green, Fentrell Cypress. I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple. Akeem Dent. Uh, Jarian Jones. Fentrell's yeah. technically a redshirt junior. I think, uh, to be fair, they're, they're everyone in that's probably hopeful that's a one and done. But he yeah, would have. So, so you're going to lose a handful for sure. But like, I, I think they like the group they have. But that's not us trying to soften the book. Like They would have loved that Red Morgan. Red Morgan was a guy they really liked. Them the breaks. Them the breaks. Speaking of breaks, uh, no, we're not going to take a break. Uh, and we're not going to pump the breaks either. That's just me making a clunky transition to our final talking point uh, is that we're going to Jacksonville tomorrow morning. Uh, or I guess if you're listening to this today, um, it depends on when I end up posting this, but we're going to Jacksonville on Thursday. It's going to be Chris Needs, it's going to be Dane Draper, see myself. I promise no falk in the road type of shenanigans. Uh, I will buy or bring some Chattanooga whiskey with me uh, for the hotel room. That'll just be PG fun of us, you know, drinking whiskey and probably talking a little bit about football uh, after being out in the hot, brutal Jacksonville sun for uh, several hours. So, Chris, I I was told as we talk about this, 
I want you to just paint a picture of what UNF practices have been in the past. Zach Blostein told me to ask you specifically about the field conditions um, because I've never been. I've somehow managed to miss the first two UNF uh, showings. So I believe it was two years ago that the field was wet the first day. And there were moments, because it's one singular large field that they use, football lane field. There were moments where linemen, defensive linemen, were working in the far corner and the one end zone and one sideline are completely wooded off of the field. I thought we were going to lose linemen in the woods or they were going to break something because it was just wet, slippery and not enjoyable. Uh, For whatever reason, and trust me, it has been hot as the seventh level of hell this week in Tallahassee. Jackson will somehow be hotter tomorrow and more humid. You're so close to the ocean and yet you get none of the benefits when you're at UNF. It is just uncomfortable. It's not fun. It tends to be buggy. The dorms kind of look a little bit like a prison, but apparently are very cold from what I've been told. And it, they just go. I mean, it's you jokingly called it Junction Boys. There is a degree of that. Now, why do they do this? They do it, one, to put guys on the bus and kind of force them to enjoy that idea of a road trip. Two, it's just a football team. So they're, they're truly like kind of by themselves together. They do a lot of team building stuff related over there. Um, I think Mike Norvell today said it's been life-changing to some degree for some guys in the last two years. I think it forces guys to open up. The activities they do, they force them to kind of get in an uncomfortable place and do it. But on the field, I expect them to be in full pads at least one, if not both of the days, because they've yet to go into full pads, and they're now in the window where they can do that. I have a feeling they're going to beat the ever-loving you-know-what out of one <laughs> another on the field. And today, which was a lighter practice, shorter, it was, what, 16 periods compared to normal 25 or so, there weren't a whole lot of moments of, like, anger and contention, but there were moments. It's like you can feel it building and bubbling, and that's just normal preseason, in the heat, getting tired, coaches riding you, hitting the same dude. You've been hit for six days in a practice setting. You're tired of doing it. It builds, it builds, it builds. And for whatever reason, Jacksonville tends to unleash some of that. I think it was two years ago where Jermaine Johnson, or, uh, yeah, Jermaine and uh, Treshawn Ward um, traded some, you know, barbs after I believe Johnson popped Jordan Travis, if I recall correctly, on what transpired. It's just fun. Like that place brings it out of them. So it, it should be enjoyable. It should be good. They have Saturday off. So I'm expecting kind of a bloodbath over there. Like I, I think they're going to get after it. But at the same time, I think it's one of those things they do value it. I don't know that necessarily going forward, it has to be in Jacksonville at UNF. There's a lot of options. IMG obviously immediately comes to mind, for example. Um, Flashbacks. But like, there's a reason they do it. There is a purpose. You can go listen to what Mike Norvell said after Wednesday's practice about why they take this trip, the value of this trip in the past. He does believe in that. And I, I think there's some credit to the way they've built team and culture in the last couple of years where it can be credited with this trip being a pivotal part of that. Oh, ooh, pivotal. I walked by someone on staff today at practice and things were getting heated very early on, like in special teams drills. They were just, uh, there was, there was some bad things. being. J- JP's pirate earlier. voice came out to play. Mike ah, was a little hot. That came out a few times. Uh, Mike um, was not saw- sugarcoating things. And, and I, co- I walked by a staffer and he goes, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> so that is the, uh, that is the appetizer to UNF. Mike Norvell did say today that he's praying for heat and humidity. I think he's going to get it. Just pulled up uh, the weather channel. And right now, like I'm like my in-laws there, they love the weather channel. Uh, The highest temperature I can see all week will be 
Thursday at 98 degrees and Friday, 99 degrees. Everything in the days surrounding that won't be quite that hot, Chris. It'll be close, but we get the two hottest days of the week in Jacksonville, back-to-back days. So I may just drive to the ocean and walk in after practice. Just drive straight into the ocean like your Michael Scott and the GPS it's takes a rental. right on in. I got mm. the insurance. Mm. Daniel, Daniel save us. I'm not worried about it. Okay, well, let's uh, let's get out of here. We're going to have the interview that Trey Rowland has with Christian Pops Green in a little bit. I called him Pops. I think we found out that Christian doesn't like the nickname Pops. Uh, it starts a run of Trey interviewing guys, calling them by their nickname, and find out they didn't really like that nickname while at FSU. I digress. Uh, <laughs> as we get into it, and I want to shout out to our sponsors, Chattanooga Whiskey and the Turner Group. Uh, it's going to start a little clunkily because we just got right into it, and it took me a few seconds for the record button to start. So excuse the editing snafu there. Just going to hit the ground running. Pops Green 2013 National Championship game. Damn it, Christian Green 2013 National Championship game coming up now. How am I going to try to get better today? It's like you don't really have enough time to really look up and just recognize the accomplishments of what that meant, you know, and, and the great guys I was able to um, be around. From the coaches, the players, to the staff, the training staff, because everybody was a – you know, a great community. And I think that's how we were able to, um, you know, win the championship and we all had each other's back. So I, I just look back at it. There's nothing in life that's really going to top that, you know, I, I think, you know, besides, you know, you may get married, have kids, but it's, you know, other than that, but <laughs> it's, it's top uh, five, right? It makes, it makes five. the list. Yeah, yeah. It makes the list for sure. For sure. So, well, well yeah. Christian, are you still close with the guys from that team? You, you mentioned that special bond. Do you still like the guys in the receiver room, some of the guys you played with, some of the guys from your recruiting class? you still close with those guys? Yeah, I think social media definitely kind of helps you to reach out. I think a lot of people, you know, you kind of, once you get down playing, you kind of go your different direction, trying to, you know, figure out some guys still playing, training, coaching. Like I said, I'm, I'm in Tampa right now, coaching as of right now. Um, so, you know, you just figure out what you're going to do, but you definitely try to, like, social media makes it a lot easier to contact guys, see how you're doing, you know, mm. um, and see how they're doing. So, I, from afar, you kind of see some of the guys, but some of the guys you kind of still talk to, and you, you definitely have that bond. So, that's definitely a great thing about um, that championship team and social media, you know. Right, right. And that it's funny because that championship team and then the team after 2014 was really the culmination of that first Jimbo recruiting class, that 2010 class that you were a part of. Guys like LaMarcus Joyner, Talvin Smith, Kenny Shaw, Cam Irving, Chad Abram, Big Pad Chad. (laughs) What were your memories of being recruited? Because you were like a composite top 35 guy. You picked FSU over Georgia. You were like a 98 grade, man. You were one of the most highly sought after recruits in the entire cycle. What were your memories of being recruited and specifically by Florida State? Um, You know, I got to tell people, I I always, I enjoyed it. I tried to just enjoy the moment. Um, you know, having people that's been through it before, you know, family members and friends that tell me just enjoy the moment. It's going to go by fast, you know, which it seemed like it did. Um, but just just the type of guys that you mentioned, a couple of them, Telvin, LaMarcus, um, Cameron, all those guys, like you said, you we, we all were there for a, a reason. You know, we all wanted to win and wanted to do what we can. I come in as a team guy. Yeah, I was heavily recruited, but hey, I, I did. And you can see I did my role. You know, it wasn't right. necessarily didn't mean 20 catches, but hey, whatever I had to do to really um, try to help the team win. And I think that's what ultimately um, was my goal. Um, and I think it kind of helped out with the other guys having that same mentality. So, How did you, how did, how did FSU honestly 
how did they convince you to give them a shot? They were coming at, coming at the, the tail end of that lost decade. Yeah. Bobby was out. Jimbo was in. There's all these stories about Jimbo kind of, especially that first staff, their kind of legendary closing ability on the trail. What was FSU's pitch to you specifically? And what were some moments like, like, I guess of Jimbo in your house and some of the moments where it's like, Hey, this guy's not a bad recruiter. Yeah. I mean, I, I always had a couple relationship with um, the, my position coach, coach Dossie at the time. Um, right. He was very, you know, even when he was at USF before he came to um, Florida state, I was really um, had a good relationship with him. I'm always a good guy, faith-based guy, um, you know, demands a lot out of his players. So I, I was able to kind of have that relationship. So I think that helped out a lot, but also just, um, you know, they, you know, it's a saying, they say the last visit's always the one that sticks out. So right. you know, that was my last, I say, visit um, um, before I had to make my decision. So I think that just, you know, it's, it stood out. It's home. I had, like I said, I grew up a Florida State fan. I had a lot of family members went to Florida State. A couple um, family members played at Florida State. So just having that and, um, you know, it was just, like I said, I made it, um, you know, that and that was based a lot of my decision you know so both like i said both universities were great you know but like i said i'm glad i you know um was able to go to florida state well we are too and you're related to eg green right the old the florida state wide receiver Mm -hmm. yes sir yes sir that's my cousin so that's awesome man what are you guys the greens man looking good the the only type of green in tallahassee that we actually enjoy is you guys and your family so we appreciate that So you your transition from college to your career, that redshirt freshman season, 2011, you had a, like a huge impact, 450 receiving yards, you played in every game. How was that transition from high school to college? And a lot of people talk about the complexity of the Jimbo Fisher offense, specifically on young receivers. I haven't got to speak to a receiver about it yet. Is that true? Yeah, yeah it's definitely, I think any, uh, you know, especially offensively, I think for me, I, I played quarterback my whole life besides one year mm-hmm. uh, I, I played quarterback I was used to having the ball in my hands uh, so it takes some adjustments um, you know learning the terminology learning the positions how to you know run routes and get up I always had a natural ability um, but just trying to you know learn how to play the receiver position so you know a lot of guys you know Coach Dawson did a great job I learned from guys like Burt Reed when I first came up there oh, yeah, um, yeah. Taiwan Easterland they really did a good job of just telling me because Burt played quarterback in high school too so he kind of made it a little bit easier for me and, and helped me out. Rodney Smith, you know, played against him in high school. So, you know, they, they did a great job of helping me out um, and just learning. So I, I think that was the biggest transition. And then you just come, like, you know, that was the biggest thing for me is, like, you know, <laughs> quarterback, you touch the ball every play, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, some games you may get it once or twice, and then, you know, but you have to do your role as a teammate. So it's like, I, you know, I was able to do that. I didn't have a bad attitude with that. I was just, you know, willing to do that. So even, you know. Um, that was the biggest transition, like not having the ball every play, but, you know, you help being teammates out at receiver um, what you can. So, Been 10 years. You still remember any of, like, the names of the Jimbo plays and what was your favorite? Can you remember the, that far back or 10 oh, years? Just man. like, I don't want to even, like, like, are we talking, like, John Gruden stuff, like eight name-long plays? Like, what, what's I a think, Jimbo play? Oh, man, it, it's hard. You could take me long to tell you. <laughs> man, it seems like I'm old, really, like, you know, already. But I mean, I think I think overall, I think the concepts were NFL concepts. So I think okay. that um, it's funny. I I, I was uh, my cousin E.G. had when he played for the Colts. He was kind of showing me some of his playbooks he had. And it was really similar to what Jimbo had. Um, so it was kind of interesting seeing that the concepts. Of course, the terminology changes, 
but um it was similar to that so i I think it was a lot of a lot of verbiage but um you know as you're up there you get it's it's the same concept so yeah i was able to kind of okay i get this if i have this route then this person has that so but it it also helps when you know um the system it helps you play faster because you know like i said off i always tell people you know offense and defense you know defense you're just flying around. You're being an athlete. You're flying right. around. You're you're just being who you you know, being the stud that you are. You know, um, defensively, offensively, it's more. Um, yeah, you can show your athleticism, but it's a lot of, you know, you reading coverages, having to be able to adjust your routes for certain coverages, and understand what's you know what coverage the defense is in. So it's a lot more. You have to be a lot more cerebral in terms of uh, knowing what you're doing and also playing fast because the game is a lot faster. Um, Obviously, from high school to college, and you know, it's a lot faster. So, hey, well, next time we talk to a defensive guy from the team, I'm gonna say, "Hey, Christian said you guys aren't as smart as the guys on nah, the offensive nah, side." Nah, I'm gonna nah, get the group like chat that. fired up. I mean, that's what I heard, right? <laughs> nah, nah, nah. They're very smart guys. This is different. different I'm kidding, game, man. I'm kidding. I'm totally different kidding. game. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, different game. I would say. Uh, so that 2013 preseason, right? Like, this is a team of destiny. Obviously, we know everything that you guys did. After the fact, 10 years later, that's why we're still talking about it. Right. You've been with the team for a couple of years at that point. Did you notice anything different during that 2013 season? A lot of people talked about there was a lot of competition. It was very player led. What stood out to you about that 2013 preseason, if anything? I think the same thing. Uh, I think definitely we had talent. I even think we had talent the year before we went to the Orange Bowl. I think we lost to NC State. But I think, yeah, just that, yeah, that was that game. But um, <laughs> I know it brings bad memories. The but, fat um, dude in the stands throwing the towel around or a yeah, shirt, yeah, I'll never yeah, forget that. Bad memories, yeah. But I think, I think we just started. You mentioned the recruiting class, and I, and I, in my opinion, it's just me. Um, but I'm one person. But um, I think like Greg Reed and and, and Xavier was that 2009 class mm-hmm. really, and then our class, and then after that, I think we really started like building at least from when I got up there, you know, I feel like that was one of the classes that, I mean, the other guys did great too, you know, but I just feel like that was, we just, we just loaded with talent. You know, we had a whole bunch of guys that, you know, you can go anywhere and play, you know, you just happen to have 10 receivers that can go anywhere and start um, in one room and there's only one ball to go around. So I think that's when I started recognizing just, not just that, but our defensive as well. Like our defense, I think there was a photo that had all of our starters, I think, from 2013 got drafted or was in the NFL. So it's like you look back at it now, and you're like, wow. I mean, like I said, that's amazing. And I think a lot of programs could say that, you know, that they could have all of their defensive starters. And, you know, we had a couple guys offensively that also went professional. Obviously, Jameis and EJ and those guys. Or, yeah, Jameis for the 2013 team. But, yeah, I think that's amazing um, within itself, just be able to see that. So we definitely had talent. Yeah, and you were bumping heads against those guys in practice. But those dudes that you mentioned in that room, I mean, you got guys like Rashad Green, Kelvin Benjamin, Kenny Shaw. Can you just describe like what, what those guys are like? Those are all guys that made an impact at Florida State, made an impact beyond, and you got to be in the room with them. Like what were specific like each one of those guys, what was Rashad Green like? What was Kelvin like? What were Kenny like, his teammates and his and his guys in general? Man, they're great guys. I think, uh, like you said, Rashad, man, just obviously he's a legend at Florida State. Um, came in just humble, humble guy, um, willing to help as well, um, willing to help the younger guys, help myself, like, hey, you know, learn how to do certain things. Um, so, you know, and Kenny, we came in together. We were roommates my freshman year. Um, 
So we was able to kind of uh, get to know each other a lot. Matter of fact, I just worked his camp. Um, I think last oh, nice. week in Orlando. So I was I was over there, um, and the seeing what he does now, and then of course KB man, he's in freaking nature. Um, just able to kind of really just um, like I said, all humble guys, good guys, and um, really had a good time learning from them and. You know, hopefully they can say the same thing about me. So, you know, just great to get to know those guys and hope that, you know, um, see them in their pro career. I know KB had a, you know, great NFL career as well. And, oh, yeah. And Rashad would be with Jacksonville and Kenny. So, you know, it's good to see those guys be successful. So I agree. So um, when it, it's a different era now, right, Christian, with the transfer portal, things like that. And you mentioned all those talented guys in that room. Did you ever have any thoughts of, and there is only one ball, like you said, did you ever have any thoughts of transferring when you were at Florida State, maybe getting some more opportunities somewhere else, or did that thought never cross your mind? Uh, yeah, you, I'm gonna be, I, you definitely do think about it. Sure, um, yeah, it's understandable. About it. uh, but the transfer portal wasn't like it is now where no. you would, you could just go and, you know, go on the campus. So, you know, I, I, I'm glad, like, you know, it was a little different back then. So, I, you know, those thoughts do come up because you're a competitor. You want to do it. But like I said, I won a championship at Florida State. Um, it was a great opportunity to meet. Like I said, you don't know what type of guys you're playing with until, like, it's over. And I'm like, man, I got first player pick Jameis Winston and <laughs> Dalvin Cook and all those guys that you look at now, they're on TV. Jalen Ramsey, like, man, I, you didn't know. You know, you're just looking at it. You're just competing, going out there, trying to do your thing. But, I, I you know, it's different nowadays, you know, like you said, it's only one ball to go around and and um but like I said, I'm glad for the experiences that I had. I met a lot of great people. So you mentioned and yeah, and you mentioned like it's like it was loaded both sides. So those DBs, like you played against, like you said, Jalen Ramsey, Terrence Brooks, Ronald Darby, all those guys. What were the the battles in practice like between your receiver group and that DB group? And any any like DB wide receiver scuffles that happened in practice? Maybe any like untold fight stories nobody ever talked about? Like you get in a scuffle with anybody? I know those guys talked a lot of crap. At least that's what Terrence said. Yeah, yeah. You talk a lot of trash, man, because you're out there in the Tallahassee sun and you're trying to <laughs> compete for a spot. So it's like you're, yeah. you got that compete. So it was a lot of skirmishes. And a lot of times it would break it up before anything. Really Were you did. ever in one? Um, I was in one or two, but like I said, it's just scuffles. They break it up by the time sure. you really uh, get there. So it's just one of those things. Like you said, everybody's competing. Everybody wants to win and, and wants to do well. So it's uh, but like you said, it was a lot of talented guys. You know, you got Darby was, you know, man, fast. He was four three guy. PJ Williams and um, you know, um, yeah, we had a lot of great Jalen Ramsey. You know, obviously he's who he is today. So, um. Those are all great guys that, that push you every day in practice. They push the receiver room for us to get better. And I always tell people the games were easier to – I mean, the practices were harder than the games. So sure. Because of who you're going against. And, and so I think – I hope they can say the same thing about us. But, you know, there's just one of those things that the practices were definitely one of those grinded out type um, things to competing and trying to get each other better. So Now, it's been 10 years. I don't think anybody would get mad. Is there anybody that you just owned consistently in practice that fans might not expect? Like, just a guy that was like, he may be good, maybe starting, but it's like when he was lined up against me, I was a problem. Man, I, I hope I can say with everybody, but, you know, like like I said, it's, it's hard <laughs> to look back 10 years from now and say, you know, that, you know, who was a problem. Who's like, like I said, they're, they're great players, man. I, like, yeah. I give credit where credit is due, and I, I feel like I had a lot of skills as well. So it's kind of like you say, just one of those things that, 
you know, we keep it, we keep it on the practice. At least me, I'm gonna keep it out there, keep them the game for whatever it is. Like, you sure. Know, but I hope, I hope, like you said, they they got me better. I hope I can say the um, same thing. I hope I got them better as well. So, but it was I a lot think, of great talent. A lot of. Great I think talent. I think that that's very. I think that that's very well put because you guys were firing all cylinders just from like the 2013 season. What were some of your best memories just from that season? Not the national championship game, just from that season. And did, what was like some of your worst memories? Have you got, have you ever been back to Boston after that Boston College game, or you just avoid that city like completely? Uh, I actually was in Boston a couple of years ago, so I you get flashbacks. I yeah, yeah, you try to get flash. Like, man, I remember coming up here and doing this, and so it's uh, you know, it's different. You say it's ten years, and, and and definitely a lot of things has changed. But um, I think that. I think overall with the 2013 team, the year, the things that I remember is uh, a lot of the stuff that we did as a team, like really getting into prepare for that year, like fall camp. Mm-hmm. Um, we we had a lot of time where you get to know people because you know you when you're recruiting people, you they coming from all over, so you really don't get to know them. You get to know who they are during those. You know, you're waking up in the morning, you have two a days practices, right? And, you're really getting the situation. So I think that whole year it, we had something special. And I think I, I I remember, man, like the quarterback situation. We didn't even really know going into week one. I think we played Pittsburgh. I think. Yep, that was the game. Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh. And we didn't really know going into that week, like who's going to be quarterback. We had Coker at the time, Jake, who was a great quarterback, and, and obviously Jameis, you know, and what he's done and was able to accomplish and what he's doing now. Uh, but really, like I tell you, it was a competition, you know, and it was really a competition. Obviously, Jameis did well, but Coker did really well, too. So I was glad um, when he was able to get his championship, too. I know just from I know it's not for the state, you know, but I'm glad for him personally. Yeah, of course. Good of guy, goal. right? Teammate. Um, good guy, competed. I think that was definitely one of the kind of – what I remember, I'm like, man, we don't really know who's going to start. You know, both of them had a great camp, so – I, w- I wouldn't want to be a coach in that decision. I- I'm glad I wasn't in that uh, room trying to make that decision. So you you caught balls from some very very prolific Florida State quarterbacks. Who who threw the hardest ball? Like after it hit your hand, and you're just like, ow! Because you caught balls from like multiple NFL quarterbacks. Like, could you tell yeah. the difference? Was there one guy where you had to like, afterwards be like, hey man, tone it down a little bit. Like I got nice hands. Yeah, I think. I mean, obviously I play with EJ, so I think. When Jameis first got in there, he used to just rifle the ball. And he was oh, yeah. <laughs> able to get some touch, a little bit of touch to be able to say, okay, I know when to put the ball in there. But he always had that talent. He played baseball, too, so you can definitely see the arm talent. Um, EJ mm-hmm. as well. I think EJ had a great, obviously, second, first, second-round pick. So he had a great um, career. And, uh, but they was just great guys. It, it's just like you say, you just mentioned, I'm like, man, I ain't even think about it like that. You know, you right. know, NFL guys, you just, you know, you just – it's amazing, you know. It is yeah, awesome. Was able to do it. So three, like before we get to the Natty, there was those three massive games. You had the Clemson game, and then the two rivalry games, Florida, and Miami. Mm-hmm. Which one of those games was the most satisfying for you? Obviously, Clemson was the higher ranked, but you're an old Florida. I mean, you got E.G. Green's your cousin, right? Like the mm-hmm. Florida Miami games mean something different to you. What was the most satisfying out of those three wins, and out of the like out of those three schools, which one do you kind of hate the most? Well, I said the school I don't like that we hate the most is probably Florida. I mean, I don't like Miami either. It's just it's just something about Florida. <laughs> it's close, just, yeah. I don't I don't like Florida, but um and Clemson, I think the Clemson game that we went up, I think we were both in the top ten or top five, maybe. Top five, um, yep. Top five, yeah. I think top five. I think that was definitely a statement game for us. I think I remember the first play, I think, in the first series on defense, Mario took it, Edwards took it and 
uh, scooped and scored. And then it was kind of like the momentum just shifted. It was like kind of you, can, you couldn't hear the crowd. It was loud. You couldn't hear anything before. But then when he did that, you can kind of like see like the crowd kind of deflate. You know, deflate. Right, right. And then obviously, you know, we, we went up there and did our thing. So that, that was always going to be a memorable game for me. Um, but I, yeah, I think Florida, like in Miami, I think I don't, I don't like them either. But I, I would say Florida if I had to ask them. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody has a different. It's yeah. always something. What do you like better as a player? Do you like going to somebody else's house and silencing the crowd, or do you like do you like the feeling like what happened in Miami, getting dope packed with like eighty, ninety thousand people and going crazy? What do you like better as a player? Uh, just just me. I like going on the road better. I like going on the road yeah. just because it's it's better. Um, obviously, you know we got the best fans. So like I said, that's, that's oh nice. Always. That's a good th- nice throwing that in. Yeah. People are gonna yeah. like that. Yeah, nah, nah. I mean, I I love always playing that dope, but just me, I just like going into somebody else's place. Like sure. I said, that was really like the Clemson game. I was like, man, it felt so good going over there in somebody else's house where they think they're gonna get the W, and then. We uh we end up on top, so I think that was um my my most memorable thing. And then like the side that we used to do the side the grass with the side, we used to do that from when we beat somebody in their home um, stadium. So I, I definitely like I like that. But of course, it's nothing like playing in uh, Dope Campbell, so or you know Bobby Bowden Field. So that, that's always I, I think that's hands pop. That's my my favorite experience. But I definitely you asked that question. I'm like I just I remember those days, like you said, yeah. going to Clemson, and Miami, and beating them down there. So I mean, I tell you what. Normally, I'm 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 a pump doke up as much as possible guy, except for that 2013 season. Clemson takes that stupid little bus ride. They pet that weird little rock. Dabo yeah, runs yeah. really fast. I'd never seen a stadium that quiet. And if you ever get on Twitter, I don't even know if I should suggest it. It's a cesspool most of the time, unless you're connected yeah. with your buddies. I feel like every Florida State fan that was there went down to the field and took a picture with like the, the, the little finger yeah. over them at the shoosh thing, man. I yeah. never, I never, you guys, you yeah. guys smothered them. It was amazing. Yeah. I, that's that's got to be like my feeling. favorite. Yeah, road game environment, maybe ever. Um, yeah, man, it's a great feeling. National championship game. Before the game, was there anything that you guys noticed about the Auburn defense that you were specifically looking to attack or exploit? And were you surprised about the offense's slow start and getting behind by three scores? Um, I don't think it was a start we expected or we wanted, but I, I think that we we had a group of guys, obviously, that was and what we've been through. Um, I think we knew we could be able to come back and, and, and have create the momentum. So I think that's what kind of got us through. Um, the game, I think we believed in each other. I remember um, the two-minute drill when Rashad had the big catch. We were all – we do two minutes every Thursday. So we mm-hmm. do two minutes every Thursday. So we had been in that situation before and throughout the year. Um, and it was just time. We just repped it so many times, repped it so many times that we knew that we just had to relax and, and, and have our playmakers make plays, which, you know, we, you know they did. So. How com- how confident were you with that last drive after that Trey Mason touchdown? Like you said, you guys repped it. Was there ever any doubt that creeped in on the sideline, or was was there the expectation you were going to go down, score, and win? Like I said, playing for Coach Fisher, man, he 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 prepares us. For, uh, and Coach Darcy, they prepare us every Thursday. So the yelling and situational football was big. You know, making sure that you understand the situation. We had repped that so many times, and just being in the situation where it's. You know, we we repped it so many times. You just know, okay, we just got to go there and do what we do this every day. I remember guys on the sideline, hey, we do this every week. This 
two minute drill, two minute drill. So we was able to kind of feed, each, you know, give each other confidence with that. And obviously, you know, we you have great talented players. They were, you know, we, they was able to make those plays. So we was all able to make those plays and help contribute. So. Right. Now, one thing about that slow start, and I will say I have a little bit of inside information on this. We've been talking to some guys on the 2013 team, mm-hmm. the sign stealing thing. Yeah. Somebody told me that Kelvin came over and say, hey, Craig knows the plays. Craig's calling the plays. You're in the wide receiver group. Did Kelvin say that? Were the coaches openly talking about about the sign stealing? What was your thought? It was your position group. The smart wide receivers, like we found out before, were the ones that noticed it. So tell me about yeah. that whole thing. It, from what I remember, it did. I remember that conversation happening where it was like, hey, they know the signs, Coach Craig, and you just brought that back up, man. It's crazy. I forgot he was over there. Uh-huh. At Auburn, so um, yeah, we we did it. Did it was a a conversation that happened? Like, hey, they they know our signals. They know kind of what we're trying to do. So we kind of had to adjust on the fly a little bit and try to, um, you know, come up with a way to win. So it's like that situation. Everybody, it doesn't matter. You got athletes on athletes. They had athletes at Auburn. Obviously, you know, being in the national championship. So you just kind of got to adjust on the fly. So. Did you guys specific coaching for the wide receivers because them knowing the signs, or was it just hey we're going to cover up we're going to cover up the plays and you just run the plays as normal? Was there almost any like baiting like hey normally like Craig knows we do this on this play we want you to do something different or was it hey you do your thing we'll cover up the calls? From what I remember, and again that was ten some years ten years like, yeah ten years ago. Yeah. So I, I remember we had like a. Somebody calling like a dummy, I guess you could say like a dummy call, and then we mm-hmm. had somebody covering up as well. Like we had somebody covering up Jimbo um, with a tie, you know, to kind of like make sure that nobody could kind of see um, what was going on. Because you know, back in those days, they had a they kind of had the press box too, where the other coaches are up on the press. Oh, there's eyes also, everywhere. Yeah, yeah man. eyes everywhere. So you're kind of looking and making sure that um that you know we're all covered. You know, so I remember that that, that conversation did definitely happen. I remember that. Yeah, and I like that. And as soon as it covered up, we just started romping on them. So, I mean, listen, yeah, I, yeah. and that'll, that'll play into my last question at the very end of this thing. But what was the environment after the game? Calvin catches the pass. Florida State wins its first national championship since 1999. Environment after the game? Any notable after parties that we might not know about either in California or Tallahassee? I mean, you're Tallahassee royalty, man. The Greens are a big yeah. name. What happens yeah. afterwards? What's the celebrations like? Man, I think we, we all just celebrate. I think... A matter of fact, if I recall, it was a lot of things that were closed. But um, like I said, I just I, for me, I just personally went up with the t- some of my teammates. We enjoyed it, um, being around LA. So we kind of the hotel and just with our families. I think our families came out there. So just mm-hmm. try to celebrate it with them. From what I remember, um, some guys probably did go out. You know, it was just you know. Now you, you're just, good. You hanging out with the fam? Yeah, I was hanging out with the fam. Oh, you're a good guy. Stuff, you're a good man, guy. Teammates. So I try to do that. But uh, I think we did. We try. I know we tried to go out, but it wasn't really. From what I recall, it was nothing really where we were staying at that was open like that. Um, I think that first year, if I recall. Yeah, I don't remember anything, like I said. But I, I just – we hung out with some of my teammates. You know, seriously, John, we kind of did that and had some people come to the room. So it, it was good, man. It was it was a good time and a good experience. And like I said, you really don't recognize it because you're in the moment. And then sure. afterwards, and it's like, man, I just remember I'm like, you know – uh, it was like, hey, you guys got to go to class on Monday. I'm like, go to class? We just won a championship. Like, that's kind of like... <laughs> can't get a know. pass, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't get a pass and go. So I just remember it just happened so fast. But like you said, years later, you remember, like, 
um, the experiences that you have, the people that you've met throughout the journey. And um, man, there's nothing like it. Like you said, years not years later, people still talking about it. So it was different. And you, I mean, and that it's funny because, like you said, 2012 was super talented, didn't get it done for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. 2013, historic run, maybe the GOAT team of all time. 2014, just as talented, if not more than the year before, had some. A lot of close games, things like that. Still a phenomenal team, one of the best in FSU's history. Was there a difference that you felt in the preseason of 2014 compared to the preseason of 2013? Was there some complacency that kind of crept in because you guys did romp the year before? In my opinion, I say it was. I think it was a little bit of complacency, but not not just like saying it's out where you see it. It's just when you first get something, your first championship, it's always an excitement, right? Right. Like I tell people. It's a grind even getting there. So then you like you got to think about it. Like you're in the championship, you win, and then you have to go back to start square one and start that whole process mm-hmm. over again. And then so it's like, you know, you try to stay motivated. You know, you try to bring guest speakers in. You try to kind of like keep it motivated. But it's also like I said, that's why I respect like you know the Kobe Bryant's the, the word that played in the always on like, right always yeah. on because it's it, it's just hard. And then you know you got talented guys so it's like um you just want to make sure everybody kind of has that mindset of winning and doing their role so that's what coach fish used to always preach and, and coach Doss used to always preach do your do your role do your assignment so but i think it's it's hard man like i said it's hard winning to, but even to go 14 and know like we did we had a lot of talent so i think that's what kind of and we, we had a lot of skill set too but i think that's what kind of got us over the top and i think it was it's just hard man to go yeah. Back to back to back. But I think that, uh, you know, that was kind of that year. I think that was kind of the issue. I tell you what, there is one moment from that year that I think is actually underrated in, as far as, like, talked about Florida State moments, and it involves you. You guys are playing against NC State. You had been on the team for a while. Were they calling you – your nickname was Pops, right? Were they calling you Pops by that time, or is that – Yeah, yeah, that was a nickname Burt Reed gave me. So, Burt, <laughs> thanks, Burt, for Back that. in the so day, Bert, he gave you that? That it was back in that it was that long. So then when people kind of came and they they he say that and everybody else is say it. So then it's just it's kind of like everybody just starts saying that, and so that's how it originated from. Is it because they thought you looked older than you were or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, look, I look. Oh, I always had this even in high school. So I oh, had, it's a solid beard, man. Well, yeah, jokes on them because you still look beard. the same age now. Yeah, yeah. So they said it back then. It was just you know. Had the beard and all that, so they were like, "Yeah, that's possible." Bert started that, so you can thank Bert for that. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, man. It's like Art Anderson. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. the the moment I'm talking about in 2014, day of the NC State game, you had mm-hmm. a you had a you had a personal family tragedy that day, mm-hmm. and I'll let you can you can describe what I'm talking about. But you score your first college touchdown. Jameis talked about after the game specifically talking about how much of an asset you were to the team the entire time that you were there. And it was kind of the culmination of like all your hard work. You made a fantastic catch, man. It was on the sideline, toe tap over the pylon. Awesome catch. I I just watched it on YouTube again today. Describe that moment, what happened that day and then just your mindset. And then finally the, I mean, you already had the ring, so you did it all, but you also got to score a touchdown as a D one premier athlete, man. Talk to me about that. Um, yeah, you know, just even going back to my freshman, people don't know I, I, I hurt my shoulder in camp, so I, I had that's why I had the red shirt. So it's like just a lot of adversity through a little bit of that I don't really talk about, but sure. um, just dealing with that and growing it. So it's like a lot of stuff you just deal with, and then that 
particular situation. Um, my grandfather, who I'm really close with, um, passed away um, that day, that, that morning. So, um, you know, I get a call from my, my, my dad and he tells me, uh, well, he doesn't really tell me, he tells my brother and then kind of didn't want to let me get distracted. But somehow it gets to me that, you know, um, yeah. that he passed away. So, I, I mean, it, it was it was hard. It was a tough day, but I knew that um, I had something bigger than myself to play for. So even though what I'd been through, he'd always kind of kept me encouraged through the ups and the downs. And and um, so that was a big loss. And, I, you know, like I said, James came up and, and, and really reinstilled confidence and belief in me. So, I, you know, I did that. And um, and he threw a great ball. So, they, you know, you know oh, he it was a, the ball was pretty good. It was a better <laughs> catch that time. I mean, James has had yeah. plenty of great ball. That was a sick catch, man. I enjoy everybody yeah. go out and see that. What did it feel like afterwards? Did you feel – was it just like another play to you, or is that something that like with the is that your is that maybe your favorite moment from your time at Florida State? Like, is it up there? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's up there. I think I think just like even that time and when the championship would be um, on that championship team, I think obviously that's that's a big role to get you you know throw from Jameis Winston and yeah. and able to say that hey I caught passes from Jameis Winston and stuff like that. So I think that was that was one of the moments. But I think a lot of times like you said it's just the moments that I remember even off the field, just getting to know guys and um getting to know kind of like you become because you're going into school 18 years old. You know, you're going into 18, 17, 18 years old thinking you know everything and then you grab you you you're growing with um life in just certain situations. So I think those are the memories that I can recall. Even guys I talk to now, it's like I just see them becoming family men and and, and dads and fathers and coaches and some of them, they say plan on Sundays and, mm-hmm. and providing for the family. So it's always good to see that. So I think that's the biggest thing that I remember is going awesome. through that whole process. So. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a formative period of your life. And you also happen to be doing one of the hardest things that anybody could do, graduate from college and playing right. for the best college football team on the planet at the time. Look, yeah. look a couple balls in there you got to juggle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. So, you know, they got it, got through it, so. All right. Well, let me ask you my final question. You've had 10 years to reflect. There's been a lot of football played since. There was even more played before. 2013 Florida State. Greatest college football team of all time? I'm biased, man. I think that, yes. I think I think we definitely are. I know a lot of legends. Like I said, I'm a huge Florida State fan, man. I, you're I, related I, to him. Maybe he, we'll see if EG yeah, listens to this. He might get a yeah, little mad, but you're just you're yeah, saying what you're saying. I tell him, yeah, I think I think, I think think we'll <laughs> hold our own, man. I, and like I said, there's a lot of those great teams back in the day. So that's when I became a fan. When my cousin, my uncle played uh, back in the day. So it's like you become um, just a fan. It's like, I, but I, I just, I'm biased, man. I think that we, we went through a lot. It's undefeated, undefeated season. Um, and so I think we just had a great run and a lot of great guys on the team and coaches as well, the staff. So absolutely, I, I give props to them. And you crushed everybody, uh, except when they knew the plays and then you figured it out and then you crushed <laughs> them for the rest of the game. So I'm with you, exactly. man. I, I think you got a good case. Christian, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yes, sir. Thank Is there God. anything else you'd like to say to FSU Nation on the eve of this twenty of, of this 10-year anniversary? Anything you want to say to the fans? Because it is an absolute pleasure to talk to you, man. You're a great guy. Yeah. Now, I appreciate the fans, man. They definitely keep us going. They keep us going. I'm still, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm from a distance. I'm always looking to see what's going on. And, mm-hmm. and I appreciate the fans that, that supported us, man, people that – we don't even see, but we thank y'all for y'all support. And, and even the team now, man, that just 
you know, I, I'm a fan now, so I'm not playing. So it's like you become a fan and just hope this this team coming up can be consistent and, and hopefully take it to the next level. So I thank y'all for that. And, and that's, you know, all my teammates and everything like that, even though you can't see them all, we're all in different parts of the country and the world. So I just appreciate y'all and, and uh, hopefully everybody's doing well. So Absolutely. Well, couldn't have said it better myself. Christian, thank you so much for your time, man. I did maybe something we could talk to you again another time soon as the season goes on, especially if they do big things. I just want to say thank you on behalf of Knowles 24-7. There's another episode of our one-on-one 2013 retrospective on the bench series. Just thank you very much. Of course, go to Knowles247.com. All your news, all this stuff. If you're not a subscriber, do it. I don't know what you're waiting for. Five stars on the bench. We can keep talking to more great guys like Christian and reminiscing on some really great times before some maybe some other pretty great times coming up this season. Who knows? But either way, I'm Trey Rowland for Brendan Sinone, for Christian Green, for Pops. This is another episode (laughs) on the bench. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. All right, man. Thank you. all Y'all have a good one. You're the best, Christian. Thanks, buddy. All right.